You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Welcome back to the MLB.com StatCast podcast. I'm your host, Mike Petriello. Joining me as always, next to me on an oddly comfortable couch in our alternate studio today is Matt Myers, MLB.com national editor. Hi, Matt. Hi, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, All-Star Game's coming up soon. We're both going to be headed out to San Diego this weekend, so yeah. really looking forward to that. That's Definitely. That's a lot of fun. We'll come back next week and uh, tell everybody about the hard, strenuous work we put in over several days in gorgeous San Diego. You got that straight. Uh, <laughs> fortunately, I don't think my wife listens to the podcast that much, so it'll be okay. Uh, today, I want to get right to our guest, uh, someone I've been wanting to talk to for a while. We have Ross Stripling on the phone. Ross Stripling is a member of the Dodgers, uh, perhaps best known to most people for taking a no-hitter into the late innings of his Major League debut before being pulled, and I thought that was interesting because there's a lot of controversy, and then I later saw Ross Stripling's dad say thank you. Thank you to the Dodgers for protecting his arm, and I thought that was cool. Ross, how are you today? Hey there, guys. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I want to start out by asking you, you were drafted out of Texas A&M back in 2012. And since then, there's been a ton of changes in the Dodger organization. You know, the owners changed and the GM and the scouting director and the manager. So since you were one of the people who was there before, what sort of differences have you noticed, you know, before and after in terms of how pitchers are coached and evaluated? Right. You know, um, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is, is Gabe Kapler, who is our, our minor league coordinator. And he, um, you know, instantly came in and just had a, an unbelievable effect throughout our entire minor leagues, you know, um, I think in my first year or two of, of minor league baseball, I ate more peanut butter and jellies than I had in my first 21 years. And he came in and, and laid it out where we eat nothing but organic food, which may not sound like a big deal, but it really is. When when you can eat like that on a day-in and day-out basis, that gives a huge advantage throughout the minor leagues. And, um, you know, that's just one of the first things he did. And then as far as kind of how we're evaluated, I, I think um, – I think you hear a lot about kind of the money ball stuff that the Dodgers are doing. You know, we, we value some stats that some people have probably never even heard of, you know, like FIP and, and, and that kind of stuff. So, you know, we're kind of changing the game that way as far that, you know, and that, that comes from Friedman down to Kapler and, and everyone has kind of bought into that organization, you know, organizationally wide. And, um, you know, and then another thing is just transparency. I feel like before with, with our old – kind of regime you, you kind of never knew where you were as far as maybe where they thought about you but you saw your name on some prospect list whatever things like that but with Kapler you can kind of go right up to him as a man and, and he'll shoot you dead straight and tell you where you're at and I think with these guys you know that if you go to a level and you beat that level that you're going to move up and that that's been a lot of fun to watch guys progress this year Brock Stewart is a name that went from high A to the big leagues you know and he earned that and that great that this new front office will promote guys like that because we we didn't really see that before yeah we're we're big fans of Gabe Kapler here he's someone we've been trying to get on for a while and obviously he's big on nutrition and uh as you said nutrition and fitness but I'm interested how do you kind of quantify the difference like it makes all the sense in the world that it's better to not eat fast food at two o'clock in the morning if you have access to fruits and vegetables but it's got to be different it's difficult to then go back and say well because of that you know this shortstop hits the ball harder or this pitcher has a better curveball you know what I mean yeah, you know, that, that's a good point. Um, you know, I certainly don't think there's any correlation to organic food and, and sharper off-speed. But, uh, you know, I, I would say that it's just kind of around this time. You know, I would say before the All-Star break, you're kind of maybe starting to get a little dead arm. Your legs are starting to get 
you know, away from you a little bit. I think that if you aren't eating the way that we're eating, you probably feel a little worse. When right now, I think some of our pitchers, maybe some of our young guys, are probably more hitting their stride right now because they are putting nothing but good food into their bodies. So they're constantly energized. And rather than having, like you said, McDonald's at 2 a.m., which is only going to, you know, no shame on McDonald's, but no offense, that's probably going to wear you down over a season more than the, you know, meatloaf, veggies, and, you know, sweet potatoes that we had last night are probably going to come into effect a little bit better than that. So I think where you see it is over the longevity of a season that organic food just kind of keeps your energy and, and sustainability better over the long haul. Now you mentioned earlier that, you know, Kapler and the rest of the staff uses uh, stats like like FIP, fielding independent pitching, to kind of evaluate you on. You know, what else do they tell you to look for? Is it is it exit velocity allowed? Is it, you know, a two-strike strike rate? What kind of stuff are they telling you that will really help you progress? Right. Um, you know, so you, that's a good question. Um, off the top of my head, I know that we value spin rate, but that's not really something that I think that you can really – get better. I think that's kind of a, a God-given ability that, you know, some people have and some people don't, but I know that we heavily favor it. Um, I know swing and miss rate is big. You know, they want you to have a put-away pitch. They want you to have something that you can throw 1-0, 2-1, that will get a swing and miss. Um, exit velocity is big, too. You know, some of the our advanced scouting in the big leagues is almost entirely involved around exit velocity instead of, like, average and, and stuff like that. So, you know, we're constantly looking at, at where a guy hits the ball hard versus where he actually gets hit and, um, you know, stuff like that. So it's kind of – there's a bunch of information. You kind of pick and choose what works best for you and maybe work on that, and then if you can get that down, then move on to something else. But, you know, there's there's a bunch of different things. Well, this is great. You're, you're answering my questions before I get to them because I was going to actually ask you about spin rate next. Uh, okay. You're, you're, uh, so your, your changeup, at least by the numbers, has been your best strikeout pitch in the big leagues this year. And uh, <clears throat> I looked it up this morning. It's actually got low spin, which for a changeup is good because it dives, and that's what it's supposed to do. And, uh, you know, apparently they, they're measuring that. <clears throat> Excuse me, but is that something that you look at your spin rate like on a start-to-start basis, or is that kind of something you pay attention to regularly? Or I guess, as you said, it's kind of God-given, so you just accept what it is and go with it? Yeah, so I think um, I think really about this time last year, I got back from Tommy John surgery, and with this new regime, I didn't, you know, a lot of them had never seen me pitch, and I kind of, that's when I found out that, hey, we value spin rate. So I was like, all right, I'm kind of curious what mine is, and that's when I went and looked and kind of saw, you know, my different spin rates on my different pitches and how they measure up to the major league average and stuff like that. And then from there, I've only maybe looked at it two or three more times to see if it's changed, to see if it's gotten better or worse or anything like that. So it's not something that you're really keeping up with. But it is cool. Like, I mean, I can go on the MLB app now, and, and down there at the bottom it says, like, my spin rate on my four-seam fastball and the exit velocity, you know. So it's crazy how the games change where you can just see that stuff in an instant when last year we had to, like, dig through a bunch of, like, Excel files to find it from the stat tracker, you know, that's up on the uh, press box. So, but it's really not something that I worry about too much. I think some guys might a little bit more, and they're, you know, but but like I said, I don't think it's something you can really change. So I think kind of once you figure out what it is, that's, you know, that's that's what it's going to be. Are you at the point where if you're throwing, like, a pregame bullpen session, you think to yourself, like, oh, I think my, my change has got a really low spin rate tonight. And if so, like, when you look post-game, does it actually match up with what your, your feel for the pitches that day? Oh, man. Um, you know, I, I definitely am not thinking about spin rate before I'm pitching, um, you know, but I think that, 
I think that, you know, if you're out there and you're warming up before a game and, and you know, and I'm a guy that throws four pitches and in my warm-ups my changeup is, you know, just doing much more better action than my slider is at that time, then I'm definitely going to ride that changeup for a while, you know. But then that all comes back down to scouting. If you see a guy that, you know, hits changeups better than sliders, well, then maybe you got to throw him the slider. So that's where a ton of other information comes in into play there but you know overall no I'm definitely not thinking about spin rate when I'm when I'm on the mound um now switching gears a little bit I I read a really interesting story about you on uh, sports on earth um that talked about how you were a, a licensed stockbroker um yeah. you do you and in, in the off season you've done some work as a stockbroker now I gather that means you're comfortable with numbers and how has that affected the way you approach baseball and and stats in general Right. So, you know, the, the stockbroker thing just kind of came about with, uh, you know, wanting to get an off-season job. And, and my family is, is heavily involved in the market and has been for generations and just kind of a hobby that I picked up and I studied it in school. So then, um, you know, I certainly wouldn't say I'm a guru or, or an expert with numbers or anything. But, you know, one, one way it translates over is just is just in the scouting. And, and like I said, the advanced reports, and, and they would get mad if I really went into detail on them because I think we, we like how we do it and we don't want others to learn. But, um, you know, it just has a ton of numbers. And, 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 and one thing is, is it can really be too much. You know, you, you, can, you can probably want to pick and choose maybe two or three things that really help you out. Well, this, the stuff they give you has 100 things. And for me, sometimes I can get in trouble because maybe I do think I'm good at numbers. Well, maybe I can memorize them all when I shouldn't because that can get, get too confusing and then you're all, you know, messed up on the mound thinking, you know, well, what do you do last time against the changeup? What do you do last time against the slider? What did you do overall against the slider? You know, and before you know it, you have too much going on. So, for one, I've actually tried to simplify it a little bit and not be good at numbers, if that makes sense. I've tried to just pick or choose what I think is worth best for me, and I got that some of that stuff from Honeycutt. He thinks what's best for me, who's our major league pitching coach. And... um you know, and that, that's kind of what I do. I tried to simplify it a little bit because I think it got a little bit too intense for me in, in the big leagues as far as too much preparation. So I tried to, like like I said, just simplify it. Uh, that's interesting because I think that makes a, a ton of sense. But then also, you know, in the big leagues, you have access to better data. And even if you're not using all of it, you know, you know a lot about the opposing hitter. And then, of course, you have a, a better defense behind you than in the minors where you don't know as much about the hitter. Uh, so what is, does that help kind of make up for the fact that in the big leagues, the opposing hitters are just more talented, that you're able to know a little bit more about them? Yes, for sure. You know, I got up there in my first two starts for the Giants and the Diamondbacks. So, I mean, obviously – division rivals we just had tons and tons of information on them and you know i could get as much information on buster posing goldschmidt as i wanted and for those you know like i said i didn't really want to boggle myself down with a ton of numbers so i kind of went with aj ellis and honeycutt and grandall pulled them aside just kind of said like what do you guys do against these guys in the past what has worked what works best you know with my with my pitches that can get them out and we kind of rolled with them the uh, my first two starts and that honest those might have been my two best starts and then after that I kind of got a little bit more comfortable and you know maybe kind of tried to do a little bit of my own game plan instead of sticking with really them who have been doing it for a decade and um, you know when when I could have kept just kind of rolling with them and 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 stayed on that scouting and anyways um, yeah you know when when you face guys like that so many times it it it, it turns into kind of a chess match and. And, you know, those hitters are so good, and, and especially third third time through the lineup, you know, you got to show them something they haven't seen before. And, and that's where I really struggled, fifth, sixth inning, you know, 
I, I struggled with finding something new to get him out, and that you know that's why a lot of times my sixth inning, fifth inning were my worst. I'm glad you brought up the catchers because uh, you threw five games to Ellis and four to Grandal, and they're both really, really good at, at very different things. You know, we know Ellis is highly regarded as a, a game caller and almost another pitching coach out there, and uh, Grandal is one of the most elite pitch framers in baseball. So obviously, both of those things are really good. But when you're out there on the mound, which, which is more important to you as a pitcher? Oh man, you know, well, I certainly don't want to throw one of my catchers under the bus, but uh, I would say since I'm young, pitch calling is more important to me. I think, um, you know, with my kind of with my pitches, I, I think I can typically throw them kind of where I want. Obviously, you want a guy that can really catch it and frame it, but I think right now where I am, I'm, I'm better at throwing strikes than I am at pitch selection. You know, I, I didn't call my own pitches in college. I, this is something I had to learn on the run in pro ball, and then I got hurt, so I missed out on that, you know, learning process for 14 months. And then, uh, you know, last year was really all about just trying to get my arm healthy again, and then straight to the big leagues this year. So I need more help pitch selection-wise than framing, I think, right now. But obviously, I mean, pitching to Grandall is a massive advantage. I mean, he'll, he'll get you three or four calls in a game that, uh, you know, other catchers probably won't. Now, Ross, earlier you mentioned kind of going through the Tommy John pro- rehab process. And I'm curious to know, is there anything that you're doing differently now than before uh, in hopes of trying to stay healthy? Yeah, so now it's, it's – um, you know, before I got hurt, I was very, I was very vertical with my mechanics and very arm dominant. And and I think why I liked it is is I'm not a guy that really runs the ball. I'm not going to sink it. So where I have advantage is angle. I throw from a really high arm angle, and I come at you, you know, with with a with a probably a pretty steep angle that you don't see every day. That's kind of what makes me unique. But it obviously put a lot of pressure on my arm. So now what we're doing is kind of staying back over the rubber, getting a little bit of a drive, getting my legs going a little bit better, and hopefully taking, you know, some of the stress off my arm. And we found that it really hasn't hurt my angle much. So it should, uh, you know, it should definitely alleviate the stress on my arm and and hopefully, uh, you know, create some longevity for me and and take, uh, you know, just put a lot more, a lot more into my legs and it it should help, you know, just overall. It's it's interesting to hear you say that because, you know, we noticed that you were on the DL for about a month uh, in AAA with lower body fatigue. Is that sort of yeah. like because of sort of this new method of, of kind of more of a drop-and-drive approach? Or what was that, you know, was it or was it just a way to conserve innings? What, what was going on? Yeah, so, no, all, all that was was an inning limit. And I'm, I'm not even really sure what I'm technically allowed to say or not, you know. But, uh, yeah, that, that was nothing but an inning limit. Nothing was hurt. You know, they, they had to put me on the DL, and I guess a leg injury looks better than an arm injury. And, um, you know, so that that was just, uh, you know, I only have 120 innings on the year, let's say. And uh, so they sent me to Arizona for a month, and I just kind of sat on my hands and got strong and, and didn't worry about pitching and then and, and built my way back up, you know, a couple weeks ago, and now I'm making hopefully normal starts again. So that that's all that was. Yeah, it's a, it reminds me a lot of hockey where a guy could shatter both his ankles and they'll just call it a lower body injury, in quotes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so you're back pitching. Has the team told you, you know, what's next? Obviously, there's a lot of injured starters at the big leagues and, and they're starting to come back. We saw McCarthy uh, and Reeves coming back soon. What, uh, what have they told you to kind of expect for the rest of the year? Yeah, you know, they haven't told me much. You know, they, they just kind of said that, um, you know, we're going to Arizona to save innings. That's great for you. It gives you innings at the end of the year and we fully expect you to, you know, help us win games. And I was like, all right, that's great. You know, whatever you guys need, bullpen roll, starter roll, whatever, if I have innings at the end of the year, that's great. And, um, you know, from there, obviously, Rue and McCarthy are back. 
and uh, hopefully they do great. It's awesome to see them back. But, you know, as spring training in this year showed, you never know what can happen. So I think, um, you know, my role right now is, is just to get back to making normal starts and when they need an arm to be, you know, as much in the mix as anyone else. And, um, you know, just for instance, yesterday they had a 14-inning game, so I'm sure we got someone going up to, to cover some bullpen innings today. So, you know, it's just uh, – you know, it's just making sure that I'm ready to go when they need an arm, and that you know, and that's kind of all I can control. Awesome, great stuff. That is uh, Ross Stripling of Los Angeles Dodgers. Follow him on Twitter at Ross Stripling. Ross, really appreciate your time. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you all for having me. It was really good to have Ross Stripling on. I found him to be fascinating and really like you know thoughtful about kind of the way the the minor league works works and how the Dodgers are evaluating players. Yeah, I think my favorite thing about doing this podcast has been sort of this idea that, you know, I feel like a few years ago, anytime you discovered a player who was kind of into analytics, they were sort of a rarity. Yeah. And now we've just found that it's really not that rare anymore because we keep finding more and more major league players who are well-versed in analytics and are using, applying it to... Uh, how they play the game. That's right. We were uh, just talking the other day about one of the, uh, we know Mark Trumbo said yesterday he's going to be in the home run derby. And he, Mark Trumbo is having an amazing year, and he's actually kind of said, I, I love looking at exit velocity and guessing what the speed is off the bat, and, you know, he's talking about his launch angle. And uh, I think that's that's fascinating because it's really worked out for him, hasn't it? He can do it like a like a county fair, like guess the launch angle. Or, uh... That's actually a fun game. So he's going to be in San Diego, and as we mentioned, we're both going to be in San Diego. So I thought it would be fun. We kind of looked at the, uh, the all-star teams that got picked, we made a big custom leaderboard out of them, and I'm gonna I'm gonna write about this later. You know, which teams are better? Like, is the AL better at this? Is the NL better at this? So that's kind of what I've got this information here. And uh, for our listeners, I haven't told Matt what any of this is yet. So we're gonna just kind of take a quick look at it and uh, you know see what you think the teams might actually be better at. Uh, I should note quickly that this does not include the guys who are hurt, like Kershaw, Davis, and Estrada, uh, and it does include Corey Kluber and Harris. It does not include the Cardinal swap that happened like just before the show, Carpenter and Aledmus Diaz. So. Uh, if you look at the pitching staffs, two very different pitching staffs, right? The NL, obviously, starting pitchers just till the end of the earth. And the AL, weak in starting pitchers, but unbelievable relievers. Which group would you think is more effective overall? Like in terms of like... Like, like give me like, like ERA and FIP, right? Um, obviously, obviously, there's a ton of talented guys all around. So it's not like one's going to be blowing the other away. But which one stands out to you? Um... The NL just because of Fernandez and Strasburg and Syndergaard and I was I was interested to find that that's true even after I removed uh, uh, Clayton Kershaw. That was a, that was only <laughs> right? the pause. If Kershaw was in, it, oh, definitely. Yeah. So, like, give me a pause. So yeah, you're right. The NL uh, right now uh, two two thirty eight ERA and uh, the AL two fifty ERA. Uh, NL actually has a, a two thirty four FIP. Basically, the entire NL is pitching like Jake Arrieta, which is absurd. And the entire AL is pitching like Jacob deGrom, which is also absurd. So it, it is slightly the NL. This one, this is probably the most interesting thing I found. Which group of pitchers uh, has the highest fastball velocity? And there's one big reason why I think this is this answer is interesting. There's only two choices. Here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, but now I'm trying to overthinking. I was like, well, it obviously is going to be the the. Uh, the NL, because they've got Syndergaard, and the AL doesn't have Chapman, so I'll just stay with NL. Uh, it's actually the AL, and, and the big reason is they have a knuckleballer. They have Stephen Wright, who's throwing 83 miles an hour, but it is actually the AL, uh, 93.8 miles an hour, and then the NL, 93.2. So obviously not a big difference, but it's interesting that that's the case even with the knuckleballer throwing an 83-mile-an-hour fastballs all the time. And the reason for that is even though Syndergaard averages 98, there's nobody else on the NL who averages above 96.5, whereas Kimbrell and Patances and Herrera, you know, all these one-inning guys throwing 97, 98 miles an hour. Interesting. 
it evens out there. And um, I, I thought it was also interesting. Exit velocity against which side? Which side gives the low, allows the lowest exit velocity? Um, NL. It is the NL by one mile an hour, 88 to 89. And uh, the guy that stands out to me there is not the guy you'd think, Mark Melanson. Huh. Which I, I really hope is the right way to say that name. I, I thought it was Melanson, but whatever. Yeah, anyway. Melanson, Melanson. <laughs> uh, there are, in the StatCast era, there's been 298 pitchers who have allowed 200 batted balls. He has the lowest exit velocity against of anybody, 85.3. Wow. Which is really interesting. He throws that cutter constantly, and just nobody can make solid contact on it, even though he's not a guy who blows you away throwing 99 all the time. It makes you, makes you wonder what exit velocity of guess would have looked, against would have looked like for Mariano Rivera. Uh, yeah, I wish we could go back in time and, and answer that question. All right, uh, let's just go through those really quickly. Hitting, which uh, which team do you think is better at hitting? We'll use Weighted Runs Creative Plus. Uh, I'll go AL. It's a trick question. They're basically tied. Okay. 136 and 137. They actually AL 315 home runs, NL 317 home runs. Hmm. It's fascinating. Yes. <laughs> They're almost identical. The, uh, the NL gets on base a little bit more. The AL's got a little bit more power. Uh, it all comes out in the wash. There are two places where these teams are very different. Okay, first one is base running. More effective base runners. Uh, I'm looking at. Uh, I, I looked at stolen bases and uh, you know Fangraphs has a stat called base running runs, which is, you know, includes success rate, uh, taking the extra base, not being thrown out, everything you think of that's valuable on the bases. One team is actually quite better than the other team. I'm just gonna guess NL. Uh, mostly because of I think that teams in the NL sort of by tradition for still whatever reason still kind of play more of an aggressive base running kind of game. Wrong. There you go. <laughs> uh, it's the American League. The American League has six players with double digit steals and also six players who have an above average base running run score. And two of those guys, Donaldson and Jackie Bradley, have above average base running scores but don't have a ton of steals because they're very good, and very smart running the bases. Uh, you've got Desmond, Betts, Bogarts, yeah, all these guys. Will Myers is actually the most effective NL base runner. He's the first baseman. He came up as outfielder, obviously. But the AL actually tops him in that. And if you just look at stolen bases, 131 to 82. Wow. Base running runs uh, a little over eight to a little under three. And that, that's even with Miguel Cabrera and David Ortiz dragging that down. That is very interesting. Uh, and then the last thing was fielding. So for fielding, I used uh, defensive run saved. Obviously, you don't love it in a partial season. But uh, I, mean, just, I was going to look at uh, arm strength and everything. It just got too complicated in the short amount of time we had. So... For a partial season, at least, uh, the imperfect defensive run saved. One one team is way better. Wow. I really don't want to get this one wrong because I got the last <laughs> one wrong. Uh, I'm going to say because of, for some of the reasons you just mentioned, I'm going to say the AL is better. The NL is better. <laughs> NL. Shakes fist. <laughs> 49. AL 14. Yeah. And so here's the thing. Because I was like, I, in my mind, just, just curious. Like, I was like, oh, Lindor's amazing. You know, Bradley is pretty good. Betts stands out. I was thinking that those are the guys, and then on yeah. the a- and then I was like, well, you know, Cespedes doesn't get great ratings. And obviously, I'm only th- I mean, it's huge rosters, so there's only the guys in the it, extremes that are jumping out to yeah, me. Yeah, so Ar- am I forgetting? Well, Arenado obviously is a big boost on the NL side, and and while Bradley's a great outfielder, he's not actually grading out that well in these. I saw okay. an interesting article on the Harbaugh Times the other day that said he's not performing worse. He just hasn't had the opportunities of very difficult balls to make those plays, which keeps the score down, which is an entirely separate conversation, but very interesting. But I did look at the outfield, and if you compare just the two outfields, NL outfield is at plus 14, defensive run save. AL outfield, negative 2. And that is partially because of two guys who probably are going to play DH in the game, I would think. Uh, Carlos Beltran, no longer the outfielder he once was. And our friend Mark Trumbo, who crushes baseballs, is not a highly regarded defensive outfielder. So even though you have you know Trout and Betts and Bradley out there, those two guys kind of drag everything down. Very so I thought that was interesting. Very interesting. So you've got a very evenly matched offense, 
You've got a pitching slight edge to the NL, I think, but uh, the NL is better at fielding. The AL is better at base running. And it's also kind of weird because, again, part of my thought process was like, well, defense and base running should you'd theoretically, those think. skill sets should theoretically kind of go hand in hand, but apparently not, at least as it applies to the 2016 All-Star rosters. And then the final thing we want to talk about today, so I mentioned when I was looking at these rosters, I did not include Matt Carpenter getting hurt and swapped out for Lendis Diaz. Matt Carpenter is hurt. He got placed on the DL. He's not going to be... In San, well, he might be in San Diego. I don't know. But he's, he's not going to play in the game. And, uh, you know, this happened right before we went on the air. And uh, you actually turned to me and you made a really interesting point. For a team that's somewhat on the on the fringes of – not fringes, but they're in the, the playoff race. You know, they're neither cl uh, clearly in or squarely out. Is there a bigger loss than Matt Carpenter? Matt Carpenter hitting 298, 420 on base, 568 slugging. His weighted runs created plus of 163, meaning he's 63 percentage points above average, is the best in the National League. And obliques, I don't know how serious this one is, obliques usually take weeks. Yeah, there it's it's one of those injuries that doesn't sound serious but takes, so you they, know. So they moved him from third to second, and now he's not going to play second. They might have to undo a lot of that rotation they did and put Colton Wong back at second yeah, base. Yeah, I think that's what's going to happen is Colton Wong is going to play second base. I'm not sure if Peralta or Diaz will play third. I guess. Well, I, they'll keep Peralta I guess third because he's already yeah, there. Play, yeah. And then Diaz will, will, we'll play short. We'll play and short. then no more Wong in center, so I guess that'll be Tommy Pham and Randall Grichuk. These are all very good players that we're talking about. But the Cardinals have, have struggled a little bit, and losing their best player, unquestionably their best player, I think is an enormous loss. Yeah, I mean, the one thing I, I did notice when looking at Diaz after he got added to the All-Star roster, because to me it seemed a little bit like, well, you know, he's had that great first month, and he's kind of slumped since yeah. then. He's actually been great. He actually has been great. <laughs> for about the last he, – he went over four for three straight games in mid-June, and then since then he's hitting 396, 508, 736 with 11 walks – and eight strikeouts. So, yes, yeah. there's definitely a lot of BABIP in Whatever. there, but he's he's controlling the strike zone. And maybe, you know, after a second time through the league, he's sort of – maybe he's making an adjustment and can sort of balance out some of – there's definitely some room to balance out the loss of Carpenter if Wong can kind of get back to what he's been. I don't and, have high hopes for that. I've never been a huge Colton Wong supporter. But you're right about Diaz, and I think it's just the perception has hurt him because he was never going to keep up that first month where he hit like 410 or whatever it was. But even though he has fallen off from that, he's still playing very well. Right? He's, he's been a shocking success story there. And it would also be like the most Cardinals thing ever to happen is if like Carpenter gets hurt and they suddenly go on like a win 25 of like 32 games. I mean, they, they pulled a lead Mestiz out of you know, almost nowhere. <laughs> they'll find some guy off the street. They'll turn him into a useful player. If there's anything that's the Cardinals way, that's the Cardinals way. Just sticking in NL Central, so uh, we have our weekly MLB Plus game uh, this Friday with myself uh, and Andy Major and Adam McAlvey and uh, a cast of characters at the ballpark, and it's going to be a lot of fun. Cubs and Pirates. Uh, Cubs, not they don't have the best record in baseball anymore, right? They are they are 12 and 16 over the last month. Just got swept by the Mets, which is you know that was a high profile sweep. Uh, and the Pirates have won 10 of their last 12. They got Tyler Glasnow is coming up. All of a sudden, they're a very interesting team. Yeah, I think we're we're finally seeing that the some chinks in the armor for the Cubs a little bit. I mean, they're obviously still a great team. I still think they've got the best roster in the game. I will preface this by saying that. But Jake Arrieta does not look – he was never going to keep up what he did last year, and we're starting to see that. He's not going deep into games. He's walking a lot more guys. Velocity's down. Velocity's uh, last start was as low as since August of 2014. So right now it looks like, okay, maybe they don't have that, you know, blow-you-away ace. They still – you know, him, Lester, and Lackey, that's – Obviously, a top three that you'll 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 go to war with any in any series, but they don't have that ace on par with some of the other top clubs in the NL. I don't think right now, at least not with the way Ariadne looks, doesn't mean he can't sort of yeah. bounce back. But it's funny he's still pitching well, and people are freaking out about it because he's just like above average as opposed to you know godly. 
Um, and obviously, they haven't had Fowler, and he's been a big yeah. loss for them. Yeah, it's a big loss. And not, not, not as much as I would have thought on defense, because Albert Amor has actually been pretty impressive out there. But Fowler's bat and that, atop the leadoff spot, and that just changes the entire complexion of the lineup. So that's been a big loss. He should be back soon, I think. And the Some, question is whether or not he's actually going to play in the All-Star game or not. Right. Because um, he wants to, but I don't think the Cubs want They don't want to basically take him off the DL and – his first game back be the All-Star game. He's running out of time at this point. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's pretty soon. Yeah. It's, uh, we fly out in three days. So, uh, that, anyway, that's happening. MLB Plus is this Friday. It's free on MLB TV and the app. Please watch it uh, and please watch us. And thanks for listening to us. Thank you to our guest, Ross Stripling of the Dodgers. Uh, thank you, Matt Myers. See you next week after the All-Star game. This is the MLB.com StatCast podcast. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based champion. Championship team.